So talking about spiritual warfare, I think... I'll be vulnerable. For me, when it comes to spiritual warfare, especially growing up in a more charismatic tradition of Christianity, it sometimes can have a veneer of extraness. That usually when you talk about spiritual warfare, the images that come to me is extremely loud tongues, loud music, people rolling around on the ground, aggressive prayers. But through this week, because I can honestly say this week has been spiritual warfare since I preached on fasting, mentally, is that spiritual warfare, because of the tradition I grew up with, because of the place I grew up in, and the misinterpretations that I have about spiritual warfare, I have blind spots about spiritual warfare, and that's the place where the enemy would attack. Because I thought that spiritual warfare is what I described, because usually the demonic is described as vomiting, rolling around on the ground, and someone casting a demon out, I thought that that is what it is. And it's reserved for that. Even though... Theologically, I know it's more than that. The knowing deep in my soul and the way I live my life was not that. I think when it comes to spiritual warfare, because I fall in that category, we usually fall into two categories. It's either going to be everything's the devil or nothing's the devil. There's a spirit behind everything or there's a spirit behind nothing. And what happens is when you have you grow up in one of those two traditions and something happens, you tend to swing the other way around. That's what happened with me. Growing up in that tradition, you think, okay, well, everything can be explained away on some sort of level. It didn't help that I was educated in the West as well. Growing up, I figured on some sort of level, if you go to counseling, if you read your Bible, then you're doing what you're supposed to do, and there's no need to talk about the demonic. There's no need to talk about spiritual warfare. Because what I witnessed sometimes was everything's a spirit, but no one's praying, no one's going to counseling, and no one's dealing with their stuff. So I swung to the other side. I don't think there's much demons. I think when it comes to the devil, the demonic and all that kind of stuff, I really think it looks a lot more like people that just don't have discipline. People just don't want to read their Bible. People just don't want to believe God. And I've realized through this week of psychological warfare, and I believe now through reflection that God and his sovereignty want to open up my eyes to what we're going to start talking about is that spiritual warfare is real, but it's not what you think. Spiritual warfare is real, but it's not what you think. If you think everything can be solved with a Bible reading plan and a counselor, you're wrong. If you think the demonic only shows up and rolling around at the altar and loud music and loud tongues and aggressive prayers, you're wrong. It's real, but it's not what you think. I had to come to the realization that when I think about spiritual warfare, thinking about it that way, being either a Nothing is the devil or everything is the devil. I actually fall into the devil's trap. The devil actually doesn't care if you think nothing's the devil. He actually doesn't care if you think everything's the devil. Why? Because you're wrong. You've missed it on both sides. Because usually, as we know with everything, the truth is generally in the middle. 
If you overshoot it, you're wrong on either side. And I had to think about it differently. Last year, I recently got into a game called chess. It was great because I tried to stop being on social media as much. So I play chess. And I realized chess is not like checkers. You kind of move pieces and you go. There's a lot more of an intellectual, strategic side to chess. I've learned that because I've lost a lot of games. But in doing chess, I realized there's something called strategy. And even from the beginning openings that one would do when they move their kingside pawn or queenside pawn or move their knights first, they have an idea of what they want to do in the game. And it starts from the beginning. There's a mission, then there's a strategy, and there's tactics. It's a game of war. This week, it, I feel like something clicked when it comes to this, that there's a chess match happening with every one of us, and the enemy has a mission, strategy, and tactics on how to navigate each and every one of us. And through just meditating, I've realized that the devil and the kingdom's mission is what, Christ, what scripture says is to steal, kill, and destroy. We say that all the time. But here's something I think we often miss. That's his mission, but he has a strategy on how to accomplish that mission. And his strategy in every opening, which starts when you come out the womb. Every chess match starts when you come out the womb with the enemy. And his strategy is always deception. Yes, yes, that's right. His first move on the chessboard is deception. That's his, everything that he does is deception. But it goes even deeper. He uses different schemes and different tactics in order to deceive, to accomplish his ultimate mission to steal, kill, and destroy everything that human beings have. That's spiritual warfare. And I think about how much I might have missed how much I might be missing and how much I would miss if I don't see it that way. If I didn't think that as soon as I came out of my mother's womb, that the enemy took his first piece to make a move against me. It didn't just start when I was saved. It started as soon as conception happened. I'm th- I reflect a bit about what I went through in school. My parents are both immigrant people. They did the best they can. And I'm so thankful for the upbringing that I had. My parents ensured on Sunday mornings, when we had Sunday nights and Wednesday nights, that I was in the house of the Lord. And I'm thankful for that. But I've realized with the power of the Holy Spirit giving me this revelation about what it means when it comes to spiritual warfare, I realized that the chess moves started when I was in junior kindergarten. When I started hearing the teachers talk about what reality actually is, that the earth is millions of years old, that I actually am part of an evolutionary process that comes from a simple bacteria. This is something I heard when I was six. And from that, the educational system built on top of that ideology everything that I know. Numbers, geography, how human beings operate, language. Everything comes from the fact that I evolved 
from a microbe. Unfortunately, as I said, there's a chess match against everyone. With immigrant parents, they had to choose that they had to work as much as they could to provide for our family. But this is the ideology that they wanted me to get because they wanted me to get a good job. That I had to learn this system's way of life in order for me to eat, in order for me to make money. This week it clicked because of the heaviness and the thoughts that were going on in my head that something, even though I'm an educated person, that I know my systematic theology, I can quote scripture, I believe in Jesus, there is something about my worldview that has been eroded from a foundational level that when things get tough, I don't pull from a systematic theology textbook. When things get really tough, I might not even be able to grab my Bible. It's what's inside, what has been deposited. And I've realized that I don't know if I fully believed everything in the scriptures as true. And when I thought more about it, I realized this was a tactic. I'm here as a pastor that has a graduate degree in theology. And there's a portion of this scripture that is conflicting in my mind if it's even true. Because of the very foundation of the way I think that started from six years old is in conflict or has been given to me as its conflict with the scriptures. Spiritual warfare. And I think the bedrock as you can tell, I did a lot of thinking this week. And I think the bedrock is in the beginning of the Bible. When I hear Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. And everything he did in one day. And I hear the narrative. And then I think back to what I was taught in grade six, that is the foundation of reality. It's conflicting. I'm so glad that I have to believe in Jesus for my salvation. And that's the basis of why I'm saved. But I'm seeing that there was a tactic that was given to me almost like a claymore that no matter how much Bible you read, no matter how much systematic theology you study, no matter how much theologians books you read, the foundation of the way you see this world will always be conflicting because it started from when I was so young. Spiritual warfare. And I think because I was thinking through all of this, I realized, oh, we're actually in a war. And if we think that it's just about singing and churchianity, you're not, you're playing checkers. The enemy has been playing chess since God made us. And so often we get caught up playing a whole different game. So, until we believe the Holy Spirit says to do something else, I want us to travel together back to the beginning and ask ourselves what if 
The Bible is true. And I'm not talking about, oh, it's true because I have to believe it because I'm a Christian. I'm talking about when we read these words, it is literal, literal history. It's not an idea. It's not a interpretation. It's not a great philosophy. It's history. So everyone, Genesis 1-1. Father, in the name of Jesus, you know all things, not just because we are Christians, we have to say it, it's because you created everything. So, Lord, as we look into your scriptures and as we start to see what the enemy has been planting in our minds since we were even young, I pray that. Through your Holy Spirit, you will be here with us. And to the enemy, we say, the Lord God rebuke you. You have no space here. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation 2020. So if it's very different, it's okay. But we're just going to read. And as the spirit prompts to talk, I'm going to talk. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was formless and desolate. Sorry. And the earth was a formless and desolate emptiness. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. And let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters that were below the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening and there was morning a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth and he gathered, sorry, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit according to their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth produced vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kind and trees bearing fruit with seed in them according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And they shall serve as signs and for seasons and for days and years And they shall serve as lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth 
in the open expanse of the heavens. And God created the great sea creatures with every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed according to their kind, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning, a fifth day. Then God said, let the earth produce living creatures according to their kind, livestock and crawling things and animals on, of the earth according to their kind. And it was so. God made the animals of the earth according to their kind and the livestock according to their kind and everything that crawls on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all over, sorry, and over all the earth and over every crawling thing that crawls on the earth. So God created man in his own image and in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you and to every animal of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life. I have given every green plant for food and it was so. And God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning a sixth day. And so the heavens and the earth were completed and all their heavenly lights. By the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed and blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because on it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. If scripture is the revealed word of God, when Moses was writing this, he wasn't coming up with a fancy idea. He wasn't trying to invent anything. He was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then me evolving from an amoeba is not true. Every living thing evolving from an amoeba is not true. The planets, the stars, the sun, the moon, all of these things weren't the result of an explosion that happened randomly and things just happened to form together over millions of years. The scriptures say that God spoke it and it was so. He didn't ask permission. The scripture doesn't say that he used means. The only means that he used was his voice. That he said, let there be light and light appeared. Now, maybe you're wondering, what does this have to do with spiritual warfare? If we do not believe that God created everything with a word. If we do not believe that he created it miraculously in the way that we see in scripture. If we do not believe that the things that he created have the purpose which he gave to it, including us. 
If we can't grab our minds around this, by the time we get to Jesus, we have a misunderstanding of him. By the time Jesus and the disciples came around, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, were ancient at that time. It was ancient by the time it got to them. And in the mind of the Lord that we follow, these were literal people. These were things that literally happened. So this is foundational. All Christian doctrine that we believe, if you take the first five books of the Bible, we don't have anything. We don't. Our theology does not start with Paul's epistles. What we believe about God doesn't start with the Gospels. It starts here. I wonder if it's so hard to believe that God can actually take us through a situation is because we don't actually believe that he spoke the very, work, the very universe into existence. Maybe it's so hard to actually believe that when God talks, it will happen because we think it's an explosion that maybe God had something to do with. Deception. If God, if, sorry, if the enemy can give, if the enemy can get us a little bit off track, just one degree, maybe God, maybe God did not speak the world into existence. Maybe he's the one that started the big bang. Maybe we did evolve from apes and somehow God had something to do with it. Folks, if we believe that, so much of what scripture claims about God, we forfeited. Just, I just read chapter one to chapter two, verse three. The scripture is claiming that God created everything in six days. But society tells us that the foundation of our reality is built on evolution of millions of years. And what's nuts is if you would tell anyone outside otherwise, they would think you're crazy because this is foundational to the way we see the world. Dinosaurs were here millions of years ago and an asteroid hit millions of years ago. And we evolved like this is the idea. But we just think this is the way it is, but it's deception. If the enemy can get us to believe that God actually did not speak everything into existence in the time he did it, that God didn't create us in his image the way that he did. He didn't let us evolve from apes because God's not an ape. He made us specifically, intentionally. When he formed Humans out of the ground. He had an idea. It wasn't random happenstance. It wasn't just the, 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 the fittest and whoever got to the top is what became human. That is not what the Bible is saying. If we believe in the zeitgeist and what I'm talking about. This is ancient. This is 1800s, 1700s. This is before Darwin. So it's safe to say every single person, no matter your age, has been schooled on this idea. On some level, when we read Genesis, it's a great idea, but it's not reality. So we come to an impasse. Can we see that since we came out the womb, the first chess move that the enemy made against us? Even if you do happen to stumble into a church 
And even if you like Jesus, on some sort of level, you're not really, when the rubber hits the road and when my demonic forces squeeze you, you're not going to believe that God can do what he said he can do. We won't. Because the way we think of the world is not in a God speaking the whole universe in six days. If we want to return to scripture, truly return to scripture, it can't just be a surface reading more. We have to come into contact with the very foundations of the way we see reality. It can't just be an idea anymore. It can't. It has to be concrete. What we see in scripture literally happened. Not it happened because I believe I'm a Christian. It didn't happen because that's what I'm supposed to believe. When I look in the sky, I saw something God spoke into being. When I see the moon, I see something that God spoke into being and gave authority to govern the night. We're here, folks. Spiritual warfare. There's no demons running around. There's no nobody. But they've been in your classrooms. They've been influencing the government. They've been influencing the curriculum. Because if they can plant, if the end, the kingdom of darkness can plant this seed, that when you're six years old, you believe you evolved from an ape. Even if you come to Jesus, you're going to be confused about God. Let's keep reading. Two verses four. This is the creation account of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and and heaven. Now, no shrub of the field was yet on earth. And no plant of the field yet sprouted, for the Lord God had not sent rain upon the earth, and there was no man to cultivate the ground. But a mist used to rate, sorry, but a mist used to rise from the earth and water the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living person. Or a living soul, some translations. The Lord God planted a garden towards the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord God caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, now a river, flowed out of Eden. To water the garden, and from it there, from there it divided into and became four rivers. The first, sorry, the name of the first is Fission or Fijon. It flows around the whole land of Havila, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, and Belium and the onyx stone are there as well. And the name of the second river is Gihon. It flows around the whole land of Cush. And the name of the third river is is Tigris. It flows east of Assyria. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. That God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and tend it. The Lord God commanded the man saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for on that for on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground, the Lord, sorry, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every animal of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. 
and whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the sky and to every animal of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep from a, to, to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. Then the man said, at last, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, but they were not ashamed. I haven't gotten. Now I'm at the third chapter, folks. In this chapter, this is something unique. We see God as creator. We see God as the giver of purpose. Now we see God as a lawgiver. The first law, there hasn't been anyone else, any, any other law. The first one was, you can eat from any tree in this garden, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that tree you cannot eat. I wonder in this time if it's so hard for us as a society and even us as believers to truly bow down to every law God gives because of the erosion of how we see God. In the first few pages of the Bible, God is not just a creator, but he's a lawgiver. This is what you can do, and this is what you can't do. If we believe God didn't really speak things into existence, maybe it happened through evolution, kind of set it and forget it. How am I to really trust if God can actually give me a law? And why should I obey him if he didn't really create us? Are you all seeing how this can connect? Spiritual warfare. I'm going to say it again. If we think it's loud music and vomiting and tongues, or if we think the devil has nothing to do with anything with what's going on, you just need the Bible and counseling, you're missing it. There has been a strategic way to disseminate and eliminate the way that we see God from a high level. So by the time... If we just throw away Genesis 1 and by the time we get to him giving the law, we don't even believe him. Another thing that appears is the partnership of humankind and the purpose of humankind. When we first talked about the purpose of mankind, we see it here. God gave us our purpose. Because he created us. He's allowed to. He made us. Just like if we were to create anything, if someone asks us, how does it work? We're the authority on it because we made it. But if we believe it's random happenings, if we believe that God actually did not form us out of the ground, like the scripture says, it erodes our actual belief that he can tell us what to do and why we're here. It's easy to talk about how marriage is under attack. What the appropriate relations that we were born for. Man was made for woman and woman was made for man. This is what God wanted. But if we believe that God didn't actually create the world... And we disbelieve Genesis 1 and 2. On some sort of level. 
We're going to try to make our own rules and follow it our own selves and try to give our own selves our own purpose. Scripture says it's not good for man to be alone. But there's this idea that there's just so much a separation with people that people would rather not be with the other sex because of issues. If you're not seeing it on the Internet, you're missing out. This is what's happening. Men could care less about women and women can care less about men. Verse 24. For this reason, we quote it all the time at, at weddings for this reason. Do you know how much of a statement that is? For a man to leave his father and mother. And there's no other human beings around. Adam is saying, because of this experience, this is the reason. This is the parameters of male and female interaction. That I'm supposed to leave where I came from and cleave with another person. If I'm a man, I cleave with a woman. And if you're a woman, you cleave with a man. That is that is. That is the helper. That is the relationship. This is the thing that I searched for and nowhere else on this planet but this woman is who I'm supposed to be with. That's radical now. And the whole idea of being joined, of cleaving, We could care less about that because we think, well, it's just a human uh, institution. It's just a contract. It's something more holy that goes back to the first two chapters of the Bible. We haven't gone to Jesus, folks. We haven't talked about any theology yet. We haven't talked about saved by grace. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this was important enough to write when you're reading this Bible in the first two chapters. Early in the story. I'll keep reading chapter three and I'm almost done. But I, I really want to go until the Holy Spirit says stop. <sighs> chapter three. Now the serpent was more cunning than any animal of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God really said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die. For God knows that on the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that it, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband with her. And he ate. This is the first obvious instance of spiritual battle in the scriptures. First instance. Moses slows it way down to describe this creature. And what's crazy is what he said. And I wonder how much of it applies to us today. Has God really said you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? We know that's not what God said. Eve corrected him. 
But this is a tactic that the enemy uses to get us off kilter. His opening chest move is to open up the conversation. Has God really said this? The second thing he says. When Eve literally said, this is what God said. If we eat it or touch it, we will die. The serpent throws up the smoke screen and says, you will not certainly die. You won't. Direct opposition to what God said. Direct. You won't die. So the first thing the serpent did was attack what God said. Think about your own lives. How much times has you know that you know that God through scripture has told you this is what you should do and this is what you should not do. And then you hear that familiar voice that we see in Genesis 3. That's not going to happen. There's no way that's going to happen. God said it. No, it won't. Folks, if there's already a crack in the foundation that we even believe that God created everything and that he is the person that can give us laws and says this is the purpose for us. Do you know how loosely and how easily that God's word can fall out of our hands? Spiritual warfare. And in this particular instance, we see here, the serpent attacked what God said, but then he also attacked God's character. For God knows. So you're telling me God was telling Adam, don't touch this because I know on some level I'm going to have competition. That's what the serpent is implying here. On some level, God is holding out on you. There's something more that you should know. And God says, it's all right, but trust me, you're missing out on something. Spiritual warfare. Think about your own life. How much times has that thought come to you? Somehow God is holding out something on me. We're in it, folks. If the foundation is already eroded, maybe we don't know this God as much as we think we do. Folks, I know when we're talking theologically, I know what we're supposed to say. I'm talking about when you're under pressure. I'm talking about when you're squeezed. Because everybody that's a Christian knows what to say. But when the kingdom of darkness has you in the figure four, when the kingdom of darkness is squeezing your neck, do we believe Genesis 1, verses 1? When your marriage is going through a rough time, do we believe Genesis 2, verses 24? When you're unsure of what your purpose is, do we believe what God said? When you're unsure that you're even valuable, do we believe that we're made in his image? Do you see how much is at stake if we don't believe the first three chapters of the Bible? But we want to argue about revelation. We want to argue about the rapture. We want to argue about tongues. Do you believe the first three chapters, though? I want to point out this connection here. The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and the tree was desirable for making one wise. The apostle said that all that's in the world is the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes and the pride of life. You see it all here. She saw that it would be good to eat. Stomach pleasure. 
It was good to look at. It looked nice. And not only that, she saw a possibility of a rise in status. I could be more than what God said I should be. Pride of life. All of it here. We should be good for now. But I want to challenge us tonight. And we're going to keep walking through the Bible until, the, until God says stop. I want you to think in this moment how much has been and is being eroded because we don't fully believe Genesis 1. 1. And I'm not talking about what you're supposed to say. If you, if you just think, well, of course I know it. Of course you know it from the head. But when you're squeezed, do you believe that God spoke everything into existence? If Yahweh God, the God that we put our hope and trust in, spoke everything into existence, why would we doubt his word? The only way that would happen is because there's a crack in the foundation, folks. On some level, this is a great story, but when rubber hits the road, when the money is low, when your wife is irritated with you, when there's trouble in your family, when there's sickness, somehow this God is not in touch with reality. On some level, we're out here on our own. We have to figure it out. But if the God that we believe in is true and Genesis 1 is true, if Jesus claims to be that God, if that's the God we put our hope and trust in, Then this Christian life should be much more than the way that we give it to the world.